Chapter 1 of What is Industrial Democracy by Norman Thomas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by the Progressing America Project. What is Industrial Democracy? Chapter 1 A Statement of the Problem. The answer to the question, what is industrial democracy, is not simple. It involves consideration of the nature and value of democracy in general, political, as well as industrial. Indeed, it scarcely needs argument to establish the essential oneness of political and industrial democracy, if either is to be vital or secure. Political democracy, even in its present imperfect form, may be a means of hastening the establishment of industrial democracy. But political democracy itself will remain in a perilous state, while industrial autocracy continues. It is the old story, a house divided against itself cannot stand. A man not good enough to have anything to say about the conduct of the industry, in which he makes his living, is not good enough to be a voter in a self-governing republic. Specifically, as the 1924 election proved, our present system gives to members of an owning and managing class two enormous advantages. First, theirs are the principal means of communication. Their power of propaganda, often for deliberate misstatement of fact, is all but unlimited. Second, theirs is a power of mass intimidation of voters, which no secret ballot can altogether control. It is not always easy to draw the line between advice honestly given by an employer as to his judgment of the effect of a political decision upon business conditions, and outright intimidation of the workers by the threat of unemployment. In any case, very undemocratic power rests with employers who can say, as so many said in the 1924 election, if enough of you vote for La Follette, you will vote yourselves out of jobs. But in spite of everything, La Follette got almost five million votes. We shall find ourselves, therefore, before we are through, forced to face the question of the meaning and value of democracy in general. Only a few years ago when we were making the world safe for democracy, such a question would have been little short of treason. Democracy then was the world's hope. Or, to change the figure, democracy was a maiden of wondrous beauty in sore distress, whom the chivalry of the allied nations must rescue at any cost, from an ogre called Prussianism. Scarcely had they succeeded when voices were heard on every hand, averring that the rescued maiden was, after all, a jade no better than she should have been. Democracy, in short, is not the word to conjure with that it seemed back in 1918. And yet neither the fascist experiment in Italy, nor the far more valuable communist experiment in Russia, both of them holding our current conception of democracy in contempt, have convinced us that an easy substitute for democracy can be found. The natural reaction from an emotional worship of the word democracy may be wholesome if it leads us to see in that word not a fetish but an idea constantly in need of examination and interpretation, an idea valuable only as men train themselves to understand and apply it. The Question of Definition In its simple root meaning democracy is the rule of the people. But having said that, one is still a long ways from an adequate definition. No social ideal can ever be caught 
and shut up in the narrow walls of precise definition. So long as life goes on, in an endless process of becoming rather than merely being, democracy will be one of those words which must be interpreted in terms of tendency and desire rather than of achieved finality. This difficulty of precise definition is peculiarly apparent when one remembers the divergent meanings given to the phrase industrial democracy. It makes some men think of Golden Rule Nash and his informal shop meetings, others of consumers' cooperation, others of the hot and eager demand of the international workers of the world for the assumption of all power by the producers organized in their unions. I once heard a very effective public speaker answer the question, what is industrial democracy, somewhat thus. Under the capitalist system, the boss selects the worker. Under the system I advocate, the workers will elect the boss. This is what I understand by socialism. The antithesis was effective and to a large degree true, but it leaves unsolved a great many questions as to the method of procedure. How will the workers elect the bosses? How will coordination between different industries be obtained? How, under a simple system of electing the bosses in productive enterprises, will the needs of men as producers be related to their needs as consumers? Such are only a few of the questions that inevitably arise as soon as one attempts to answer our inquiry by a sweeping generalization. Yet since it is desirable to have a general idea as a place to begin, we may say broadly that democracy means, in Lincoln's phrase, government of the people, by the people, and for the people, and that industrial democracy is the application of this same idea to our economic life. Our best approach to an amplification and application of this notion of industrial democracy may well be, first, an examination of the existing capitalist system in the light of Lincoln's principle and, second, an examination of the various and not always harmonious tendencies towards democracy in industry. This task will require us, before dogmatizing on our own theory, to pass in rapid review. A. The actual experiments looking toward a more democratic control of economic processes, the labor union movement, producers and consumers cooperation, government ownership and operation, and plans initiated by employers. b. The great historic theories of socialism, communism, syndicalism, etc., which have had so potent an influence on actual political and economic experimentation. To these subjects, rather than to abstract reasoning on industrial democracy, the bulk of this pamphlet will be given, and our own effort will be to base our conclusions on this examination of what men have been thinking and doing to get more control over the economic processes which have such vital significance for their very lives. End of chapter 1